When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They've already helped you tidy up all the nooks and crannies of your body's basement, but this year, Manscaped can help you get the perfect presentation on that beautiful face with the new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Make sure you look your best this spring by using code BELLYUP20 to get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. It's time to tame your mane with the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. The sun is peeking back out, which means you'll have to show your face in the daylight again. So use the kit to make sure your scruff looks award-winning, whether you got glorious beard flow or some smooth, sleek cheeks. The kit starts off with the Beard Hedger, a waterproof cordless trimmer with a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair-cutting lengths, all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of add-ons. It also comes with the titanium-coated T-blades that are tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to a single-stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. The Beard Hedger is a high-tech piece of art in a travel-sized package with a long-lasting battery, universal charging, and a strong motor. So what are you waiting for? Save 20% off and free shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the promo code Belly up 20 at manscaped.com. Focus on the face and use the Beard Hedger Pro Kit for the cleanest look in the game. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Maynard. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Well, it's Thursday night, folks, which means another time for the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Make sure you subscribe and hit the little bell notification. That way you get notified whenever we have new content available to you. And make sure you download us on your favorite podcast app so you can stay up to date with the show when you're on the go. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We're getting closer and closer to the NFL Draft. Remember... We will be streaming live for the third year in a row for both the first and second and third rounds Thursday and Friday. We'll have a bunch of different guests on myself, Chris, Adam LaRue will be hosting it for belly up. And it will be also on our YouTube channel here for the MD's fantasy football show. Very excited for that. That's why we're very excited to continue on this NFL draft series. We had the quarterbacks last week and now this week, we're going to be getting into the running backs with another special guest. Before I introduce him, Danielle, welcome on. Thank you for coming on. And how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I'm excited. And I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say about some running backs. We will get into it. Our rankings are different enough. We should have Chris here. Uh, maybe he's on a delay. We'll see if we can get him in during the show. But let's get our guest introduced properly. That's right. Now, it is time for the one, the only, Jeremy Popolaris! You can find him at Pope's FFH on social media. Also, the featured analyst, the featured dynasty analyst on FTN, where he hosts a podcast there as well, and an expert breaker on Fantasy Pro. Jeremy, welcome to the show. 
quite an entrance. I hope I live up to the hype. I feel hyped. I'm ready. I don't know. I might, you know, go do some crunches or something. You know, I'm pretty hyped <laughs> after that entrance. So I appreciate that. And uh, I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk about this running back class. I think it's it's interesting and everybody has a lot of different views and we get a lot of every type of running back that you want. So I'm excited. Well, I, we were talking about this right before we came on, and I think it's worth mentioning on the show. There's a top tier when it comes to these guys. There's a bottom tier, as there always is. In the middle, with this running back class being one of the deepest we've had in a few years now, they're all tight. They're all so close together. And we were talking about the fact that, well, really, we're going to go through our rankings today, but draft capital and draft location can make this thing look drastically different come that Monday after NFL draft weekend. I don't know if that's the way you see it as well. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I think that running back's one of those positions that unless you get that day one, day two draft capital, we just don't see a consistent enough fantasy output from those other players. You do see that dark horse type of player. You know, we've seen it from some undrafted guys, but even at that, you know, they give you a year, maybe two years, and then they kind of fade off. If you don't get that early first, second draft capital, then you kind of tend to fade those players because it's just easy to. And it's the NFL's told us in the past that it's not something that they are afraid to redraft somebody or move on quicker from from somebody, say, who's drafted from in rounds four through seven. Yeah, 100%, which is why it's become such the... Well, one of the reasons I should say it's become such a volatile position that it is, especially when you're talking about dynasty and even even redraft from a year to year perspective. We get to welcome Chris into the show. He did make it. Chris, what's going on, man? How are you? Yes. Speaking of volatile, my, my internet's being volatile. I'm trying to get on <laughs> StreamYard and my internet wasn't connecting for some reason, but I finally made it and so I did talk about some running backs. Hopefully we'll be able to keep you on. All right. So we got everybody introduced. Let's dive into the show. We if you can't talk about running backs without at least kicking it off with Bijan Robinson. Now, I want to do something a little bit different, though. I don't want to really talk about Bijan Robinson, the prospect necessarily, because we all know he's great. We all know he's the number one running back to be taken off the board. He's in a tier all by himself. We're all excited for him in a fantasy perspective. Let's talk about some places to kick this thing off with where we think he might go, because there's a big drastic leap between the people who think that, you know what? He's a top 10 prospect. He should be drafted in the top 10. And the other people who say, well, he's a running back. It doesn't matter how good he is. He'll go in the first round because he's so good, but he shouldn't be drafted any earlier than the late first round. So here's what I want to hear. We'll start with Jeremy. Where do you think Bijan goes in the first round this draft? You know, I, I can't stop beating the drums since I've been doing it for a while now, but there's just something about Atlanta at eight that just screams Bijan Robinson. Um, I know Tyler Algier had a really good season, and I liked Tyler Algier last year. So it's not a knock on him. It's more of just I feel like Arthur Smith wants to pound the rock. He has. He's used even a committee last season. We saw so many different guys kind of roll through there. And why not go out there and get your next version of Derrick Henry, who's even more explosive than Henry is and has a decent amount of power enough that maybe not as, you know, freight train like as Derrick Henry, but very, very, very close, a little bit more Saquon to him. But 
I am all in on Atlanta taking them at eight. Obviously, they could go quarterback. They could go a different way. I just think that, yes, it might not be the smartest football move, seeing as Atlanta needs a lot of other things. But I think that he doesn't make it much past Atlanta. Um, If not, Tennessee is another interesting one, I think, as a successor to Derrick Henry. Well, well, I'll jump in here because I would kick it to Chris, but Jeremy, I guess we're on the same page because that's what I have. I have Atlanta at eight taking him. I do think he goes in the top 10. I think he's too much of a can't miss prospect. I don't care if he's playing running back for him to drift all the way down to the bottom end of the first round. I look at Arthur Smith. The old school mentality brings to the table. I look at the fact that his most successful years was riding a rock with Derrick Henry. Tyler Algier, you just talked about it in the beginning. These running backs get picked in day three, get replaced quite easily, even if they perform well. Tyler Algier did well, but I don't think he's the prospect to take away from them wanting to draft the Bijan Robinson. Neither is Cordell Patterson. And he would gladly, I think Arthur Smith, that is, give the job, give 90% of the work to Bijan Robinson over those two guys and truly have a a seriously monster-studded you know, offensive skill set there. Because if you have Kyle Pitts, who as a talent is probably one of the top talents at the tight end position. If you look at uh, Drake London, he's one of the top wide receiver prospects. You put him Bijan in the mix. Well, maybe it doesn't matter who their quarterback is. I say that a little, you know, facetiously, but that's the way Arthur Smith may be looking at this whole thing. And that's kind of why I picked Atlanta at number eight as well. So we're on the same page here. Chris, I think you have a little bit of a different take though. What are you looking at? Yeah, I think there's going to be two different teams. There's a team that I hope hopeful there's a possibility with Detroit at six, but I think it's more than likely that it's going to be the Eagles at 10. Um, just to speak to Atlanta fact, you know, real quick, I, I, I hear this Arthur Smith thing, but they didn't take their Henry in the first round. Arthur Smith hasn't shown you that he's a, has a propensity of taking playmakers necessarily early on. They took Drake London last year. They struggled to I use Kyle Pitts and They did take Kyle Pitts the year before, but they struggled to use both those guys in their offense last year at, at the same time. The running back has gotten set at the, in a sense. And this team has holes everywhere on its roster, particularly on defense. So I'd be shocked if they're going to spend the draft capital when there's a decent amount of running backs we're going to talk about later on in the show that it can kind of you know complement some of the backs they already have on this team. I'd be shocked if they're going to spend an eighth pick on Atlanta spend the pick. Now, the Eagles, on the other hand, just coming off a Super Bowl win, side or shot Penny in the offseason, have Kenneth Gainwell, Penny's for a one-year deal. You know, what are you really going to get out of this guy? And a team that could definitely hit a home run and has kind of the – can kind of play around with, you know, the, the offense a little bit could be the Eagles, where if you put a Robinson next to Jalen Hurts, the A.J. Brown, those weapons you have in place, now you're talking about a team that can, you know, repeat Super Bowl contender and a team you can't necessarily take anything away from. So I think the Eagles are more of a probability at 10, but I, I think that there's a good chance that maybe Detroit considers them at six, where look at, you know, this team that talk about running the ball. Dan Campbell has a niche for running the ball and getting guys who are playmakers. had Alan Kamara in New Orleans. So I can see when DeAndre Swift kind of having the banged up issues he's had. They moved on to Jamal Williams. They did bring David Montgomery in, but they didn't sign for big money. Um, so I do think there's a possibility of maybe Detroit, but I think we're likely with the Eagles. I, I can't argue with the Eagles point. The, the Eagles point definitely makes sense. I will argue vehemently with the Detroit point. They need defense. They need offensive line still on the inside. There's no way after they just signed David Montgomery. Yes, it wasn't the big money, but they were still talking about a guy who's not that old. They replaced Jamal Williams. They still have DeAndre Swift. There's no way they're going to spend that first round pick on a Bijan Robinson. I completely disagree with that line of thinking. I'm curious why you're so vitamin that they won. They'd spend draft capital and they have, you know, looked at the running back position. 
DeAndre Swift has been, been had an injury in his shoes last couple of years. His last year of his deal, so why would they necessarily look avoid having a tandem back with David Montgomery? Remember, this is a coaching staff that usually has two backs a year, and they already so. got that with David Montgomery for one more year at least. Now you would, not, you would not address. Look, Detroit has the six pick. They knew they were going to 18. have the six pick. They right. What I'm saying is that they knew they were going to have the six pick. They also knew that there's a decent chance Bijan Robinson would be there at six. Knowing that, for them to still sign David Montgomery tells me they're not in on him. At least not at six. David Montgomery the same amount of money, the same amount of money that Cordell Patterson is making this year. Just one point that out. Uh, Jeremy, you want to jump in here? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think Detroit's in the market. I think that the money they gave David Montgomery kind of speaks to everything. Yeah, it wasn't like huge, but they gave him a, a decent contract. It's it's money into which that they're probably planning on using him. Um, like you had said, Chris, like they kind of roll out a multi-back type of backfield. I think DeAndre Swift sees decent usage. Um, I think that obviously if he's healthy, Swift might be a little bit more involved, but Montgomery, despite the advanced numbers has kind of been a productive back. And I just think that Detroit isn't necessarily a team that wants to go. Like if you're drafting Bijan, he's like your guy. It's not Bijan to be a committee. I know he was in Texas with Roshan, but if you're spending top 10, it's like he's your guy. And if that's the case, maybe Detroit does, but if I'd expect them to trade Swift or Montgomery at that point, you know? So I don't necessarily see Detroit really on the radar. Um, I wouldn't say rule him out. I think, I think if they were to take him, it would be like an 18 if he fell for some odd reason and started to really fall. They could take him with their second pick, but I don't think at six there. I think they're going to go probably defense like they did last year. I agree with that. If he somehow fell to 18, then then yes, anybody's in on Bijan at that, at that point of draft. So that part I, I would agree on. Danielle, you've been quiet. What do you got? Yeah, I think I'm I'm not necessarily on the train that Chris is on with the Detroit, but I am on the train of him falling later than the top 10. Not far later. I think he could potentially end up in the Texans or Jets world. I don't think that would be a bad pick for either of them. I think adding some more talent the to Jets, both their offenses. Hall, really. I think it would, I mean, it would be a great duo, personally. I personally really like that duo. Plus, going off of injuries and everything, it's always nice to have in a little bit prote- a little bit of protection. It would be both of their first years. It would be interesting to see, at least. I don't necessarily think he will be a top 10 pick, despite his talent. I just don't know if any of them are really going to be going for a running back that early on, especially because all of them are there for a reason, and they all have so many holes that they need to fill, and running back might not necessarily be the most important one if you're in the top 10. So I was thinking along the lines of Texans or Jets world. Well, if this little segment tells you anything, is that we're just as all over the place as everybody else is as far as where Bijan Robinson is going to go in the first round. Let's move to the second conversation, which is what this show is about. It's about the fantasy value. What is his fantasy value, both in Dynasty and in redraft? And I kind of I did separate a little bit out of here in Dynasty leagues where there's one quarterback versus super flex. I do think there's a difference in what the value could be there. I'll save my last. Jeremy, you're the guest. I want to kick it off with you first. Where are you valuing Bijan Robinson before we even know what team he's going to be on in Dynasty drafts and maybe even redraft hanging in the next year? Yeah, I mean, redraft is a little hard 
Um, I, I feel like with redraft, I, I would like to know where he is before I pull a trigger on really giving him like a true spot. Um, as far as dynasty goes, I do have him at three. So I don't, I mean, other people could play dynasty this way. This is the way that I personally play it. I look at it as in like a two to three year window. Most leagues don't last that long, especially if it's with people you don't know. And even with people you do know, it's hard. Dynasty is a 24-7 type of thing. The leagues don't usually last that long. So I'm looking to try and win in year one or two. And so for me, he's just at three, just because I still think Jonathan Taylor's kind of like the guy at the moment. Um, and then Christian McCaffrey is just too good. So for me, he's still at three. Um, obviously, if someone has him at two or one, I'm not going to be like, like I, that person's not <laughs> smart. But like, I just want to see it a little bit. Um as far as where he's going to land. And then obviously kind of, I don't know. I still just bowed to the guys who have done it for, you know, a couple of years now at the NFL level. And, th- and that and that's, and that's fair. And I'll get into where I have him rate that in just a second. I first, I want to hear Chris, I want you to go next this time. Where do you value him at right now? In dynasty, I have him as number two player, almost number one, depending on kind of what you're looking for. But I prefer to have a quarterback. I have CZ Stroud higher than him. Just gonna think the quarterback's more of a long-term guy. Um, kind of what Jeremy was kind of hitting on. And when you got dynasty, you know, you look at a certain window. Quarterbacks are guys who can play 12, 13 years. What about uh, what about in startup? Not, I'm not talking about just uh, rookie drafts. What about like in a, a startup league, like where everybody's available? I would probably have him in the top 10. Um, I think it's going to depend on what your kind of value wants to get. I think there's some quarterbacks that I talked about before. I still think I value the quarterback a bit more than most people do. Uh, but I think having an elite quarterback is huge in dynasty. But I think he's the guy that is going to be one of those top tier running backs that you're going to look at. Uh, we're talking, you know, for redraft, I have him as my number three running back this year, possibly number four, depending on kind of what you're looking at. Guys following Nick, Nick Chubb's a guy I kind of have him battling with right now with number three for number four spot. But I think we look at a guy who can have, you know, a medium impact in the passing attack, in the running game. And as a guy, it's one of the few people that is actually a top player on people's boards. You know, we talked about where B. John Robinson goes. His draft isn't really that strong. And there's not a lot of great rank uh, ratings on some of these guys. He's one of the few guys who is actually rated on everybody's boards, a top tier guy versus a lot of guys who are just all over the place. So I think Robinson is going to be a guy you're going to see on the field very quickly. And even as a timeshare, because his ability to catch the ball and his ability to kind of be explosive, he even gets 15 touches a game. He'd still be very explosive in that role. So I think as a guy, I'm going to take very high and redraft this year. And I, I look at, I mean, I guess it does depend to some degree where he falls, but I'm with you in a sense of if he gets drafted by anybody, it'll be a Brees Hall situation where like, yeah, Michael Carter played week one and then that was it until Brees Hall got injured. Like it would not be long before Bijan's like, I'm too good to be off the field. Uh, before I get to mine, Danielle, do you have yours? Yeah, I, I honestly agree with all those points, especially what Chris was saying. As somebody who has uh, done Dynasty once before and realized how awfully, um, how important it is you need to get a quarterback of <clears throat> a lot of importance, I realized that very quickly, and I realized that a little bit too late, it seemed like. So um, I agree with the point of immediately going out and getting the quarterback, but not far behind getting um, getting Robinson. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm playing this from the so a one quarterback league in Dynasty in a startup. I got him at number one. The only guy I was competing him with was Jonathan Taylor. 
go back and forth because Taylor's still really young. I think he's actually only what a year older than Bijan Robinson really is at this point. And you're on a team right now. I do like Stetson as a play caller. We don't know exactly what direction the Colts are headed in, but he's going to likely be the entirety of the offense. And we know that. And he has the age that you're looking for. He has that two to three window as Jeremy alluded to. Again, I play pretty similarly. That's what I'm looking at as a two to three window of myself. So from that standpoint, it was, okay, do I put him in or Taylor in? And that was difficult because Taylor's done it already. We've already seen him finish as the RB1. It's not hypothetical with him. But I look at Bijan, and he's so good, especially in the passing game. And with Taylor, I still question, will Stetchen bring in somebody to just cut him off a little bit on third downs? For Bijan this year, no matter where he winds up, I don't think that's going to be the case for the first two, maybe even three years of his entire career. So I yes, he hasn't proven it yet, which makes it a little bit questionable. I get that. But with him, I feel so safe about the potential, quote-unquote, risk that I actually put him at number one. Now, that's in one quarterback leagues. In super flex leagues, you're barking up a different tree because you got to go quarterback, I believe, in super flex leagues, at least in the first round, if not even the, the first two rounds because of how brutal that can be getting quarterbacks in those type of leagues and those type of setups. But I still have him ranked inside my top 10 when it comes to Superflex as well. Redraft's a little bit different. Redraft is going to kind of depend. I got to see where he goes. I do have his RB9 preliminary right now, kind of behind the guys of like one spot ahead, but behind Nick Chubb, uh, behind McCaffrey, behind uh, Saquon Barkley, just some of the more established guys just for 2023. But would it shock me if he would finish in the top three? Would it shock me if he were finished number one overall? No, that's more just out of respect that those guys have proven it. They're there. We love their situations. Let's wait to see where Bijan winds up. But the point is this. He hasn't played an NFL down yet, and everyone agrees this dude's an RB1 right off the bat. <laughs> just have to get him. So love Bijan, all about it, and that's why I wanted to have that kind of a different conversation surrounding him. Who's the number two? And I do think this changes from person to person, and it mostly comes down to... Is it Charbonnet or is it Jameer Gibbs? Now, I do find myself to be in the minority. We'll get to that in a second. Jeremy, who's your number two and why? Yeah, I have Jameer Gibbs um, at number two. For me, Gibbs has kind of always shown it, whether it was Georgia Tech or Alabama. I think he got a little bit extra bonus moving over to Alabama, a little more screen time for the, the common fan. But Georgia Tech, even when he was there, he was kind of their offense. He's just a very dynamic athlete that has the ability to be a true dual threat um, type of player. He can run almost every single route a receiver can. He can line up almost anywhere. He has better hands than some of the receivers in this class. So for me, Gibbs just kind of gives you everything that you want as far as the modern day NFL running back, I would argue is, which is kind of a versatile at weapon more so than necessarily that, downhill thumper um so for me i think that gibbs is kind of two and it's pretty secure for him um and yeah that's why okay good enough for me danielle what do you got i also have gibbs i love an alabama running back as a patriots fan <laughs> i love alabama running backs you know um, i should have known that was coming <laughs> Yeah, I'm a little bit predictable, but I mean, I love him so much. He's very talented. He got seven touchdowns in the 2022 season, 926 yards and 151 attempts. 
I really like Gibbs. I think he's very powerful in Alabama. And I also agree with Jeremy how he switched from Georgia Tech. That definitely added in some more experience, bigger playing level. I think that he is a great running back. And I, I understand the debate, though, for number two, because between the two, it is very competitive. I just think Gibbs has the slight edge over him. Okay. Okay. Chris, am I going to be the only one on the Charbonnet? Spoiler alert. Unfortunately, you're going to be. It is not necessarily <laughs> where I have him on my own board, and we're going to, you know, we'll have belly up draft special coming up in April. But um, that's a little bit different for fantasy. So I'm going to go with draft capital, where I think Gibbs is going to be the guy who gets drafted higher. That's he's going to get the chance to play more. He's going to get a chance to be involved, in, particularly in the passing attack, which we know this is a passing league. I worry about Charbonnet just getting pigeonholed as an early down back, even though he can do everything. I, I worry about some of these coaching staffs, where it's because he's a bigger guy, they'll automatically stick him in a certain role. So I look at a guy who runs a lot of Nick Chubb and Charbonnet, where Nick Chubb used to catch the ball too out of Georgia, and that kind of went out the window. So I look, look concerns about him, you know, um, especially the, early this year. Long term, I like Charbonnet, but I think right now I get to go with Gibbs because the draft capital and the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. The, the draft capital is fair because it wouldn't surprise me if Gibbs went ahead of Charbonnet. I guess I think the draft capital is going to be close enough where that won't be as big of a factor. And we got to see where these guys wind up at. But when I look at Charbonnet and I look at Gibbs, and by the way, I got Charbonnet number two, Gibbs number three. You could call it a 2A, 2B. I have, it's not like there's a huge gap here for me. But when I look at Charbonnet, I see a three-down workhorse back. The big thing, it's not because he is good on early downs. It's not because he does have soft hands catching the ball out of the backfield. It's not because he's surprised with the 40 and solidified that, yes, he does have enough speed to get to the second level to show that he has another gear to be able to spring big plays in his own right. And actually, if I, I have it right here in front of me, he was right there with Gibbs with, with carries over 15-plus yards. In fact, he actually had a few more than Gibbs did last season. It's the fact that he's good in pass protection. Wherever Charbonnet goes, he's going to get the opportunity to play early because he is good in that facet and because he can do everything I think at a very good level it won't be long until we're seeing him as one of the few rare workhorse three down running backs Gibbs on the other hand love him I comped him to DeAndre Swift who I also loved coming out of college by the way still will rub it in the Chiefs face every time when that gets brought up that they drafted Clyde Lair over DeAndre Swift. It was a catastrophe then. It's still a catastrophe today. Anyway, with Gibbs, he's great. He's electric. He's explosive. Yes, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. I don't know if this is a guy who's going to get 250-plus touches in a season. 200, but I don't know if he's going to get 250. And that holds me back from him going over Charbonnet by just a little bit. I don't know if anybody wants to jump in for a rebuttal there. I just have a quick question for you. There's one team in my mind where I have Charbonnet would be over Gibbs if they get drafted him. But where's the team that you actually think he's going to get his potential to get all these touches? That's a good question. It's going to have to depend on on the opportunity that gets presented himself. Uh, I hadn't really thought about what team I would I would want him to go to. I just kind of assumed with Charbonnet, with his skill set, he's either going to get put in a situation like Dallas, where there's a Tony Pollard to kind of go with his thunder, or he's going to get a situation where he can win out the job outright. I don't think he's going to wind up in a situation where they already have an early down running back. I was going to say Dallas is the only team that I had him as a guy that I would have him as number two on my board because of the potential to get the touchdowns and do that Zeke role. But a lot of the other offenses, when we look at his potential – there's got a lot of teams that have pass-catching backs like the Eagles, for example, have a can of game well. It's going to be really hard for him to kind of find that niche to be involved in the ball three downs. I agree with you. He can do it all. I just worry he's going to have a chance to actually have an opportunity to do that early on in his career. 
And that's, yeah, that's and I mean, on job rotation. I mean, it's tough. I mean, Charbonnet is definitely explosive. And like you had said, I mean, over his career, uh, according to pro football focus, he's 11 more runs that are over 15 plus yards. Uh, but the big difference is like yards per route run. Like he's at like 0.87, which is pretty bad for a running back. Um, and he really only got a huge receiving workload in his senior year uh, when he went back to UCLA kind of to show that he can do that more where Gibbs is like number two um, in yards per route run over the last four years of the hundred plus prospects that I have ranked. And it's only to Rashad white, who was 2.61 and Gibbs was 2.45. So I think like, depending on obviously where he lands, it's just to the way the NFL is going. And like, we kind of talked about a little bit earlier and like Chris had made a point too here just a second ago, like you don't see anybody getting 250 plus touches that often anymore. Um, it does kind of happen, but it's like those certain spots. And I've, even talked about it on my podcast and stuff like that. Like, I don't know if there's really teams out there that have a spot for multiple players this year to see somebody come in and get 200 plus touches just because there's somebody supplanted. And to be honest, I think Charbonnet is going to be on like Tampa Bay's radar. Um, Rashad, well, I hope, I hope not for Rashad white, but yeah, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like Rashad white's there. I, they kind of used him more as a pass catcher, kind of some run and, Charbonnet reminds me a little bit of like a younger Fournette. So like it would be an interesting pairing. Um, I think cause he's going to go a little bit later. Like, I think that's a pretty good spot for him, but like, I don't know anywhere else really like Chris had alluded to like that. You're going to see him come in and get that work role that we wanted. It's not like it's Bijan where like, he's going to Bijan's just going to overtake whoever's there. Like Charbonnet is good, but he's not like great in my opinion. So that's where I see like, and then when I go to that committee style, I favor the pass catcher because most leagues are PPR. So you're going to get like the bonus points that way. No. And, and that's fair. But I think the senior to go back to your earlier point on Charbonnet with the senior year, he did get it up to 1.3 in his senior year. It, it, he did mm-hmm. show improvement that he can do it. So I think that was big. What about a scenario where maybe it doesn't look like he's going to get that kind of touches at first, but is able to lock it down this year. And then as a result is the guy next year, the team I'm just thinking of off the top of my head in that scenario. Well, two teams really would be the Arizona Cardinals and, or the Rams, the Cardinals, James Conner. We know he gets hurt every single year. Charbonnet could come in and take over that role right away. Connor's already three down back. They have no reservations between doing that with Charbonnet and the Rams, the same thing. They have cam Akers, not the model of, you know, staying healthy in his own right. And I mean, I guess the Rams are recommitted to Cam Akers. I'm not really 100% sure, but a scenario like that, I could really see putting himself in where with Gibbs, I think no matter what, he's getting drafted to a situation where he's going to be seceding work to somebody on the early down. I don't know, Chris, what do you think about that? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I don't disagree that I think Arizona is a good fit for me short-term and long-term for him. Another team that could you know, come up with long-term for him that maybe fits well if you look at that AFC West and you look at some of the teams in the, that division, um, I think you look at you know maybe the Kansas City or maybe the 
Um, you know, I don't, Denver's looking for Javante Williams is banged up. There's a chance that I mean, he can get in there and get on the field. But it's going to be really hard for him to kind of get that early down role. And I think that's what's going to be kind of crucial for him to kind of make sure he establishes that he can do all the things. Because like I said, these guys love their pitching hole guys. You're a huge Nick Chubb fan coming out. I was a huge Nick Chubb fan coming out. And we're still waiting for him to get involved in that passing attack. So it's it's something that can kind of happen to some of these guys when they get labeled as a certain kind of player or they get plotted early on in their career as a certain type of guy that role. So I'm a little bit worried about him. I think there are some teams maybe he can kind of grow into that role. I, uh, the other team I'm going to throw out there about to see if the AFC West was the Chargers. You know, you have Austin Eckler looking for a trade. Uh, probably last year was deal regardless. So that's a team that he can take over in the backfield next year. They could use him as a bigger back this year, get some of that early down, some of those red zone touches. So there's a place where he can you know find value. But I think it's going to be a little hard for him to kind of necessarily be the guy this year, but that's changing next year to be there. Well, that, that actually makes me think of another one, which would be the Raiders. Josh Jacobs likely on his last year of his contract. Maybe it's not this year for Charbonnet, but maybe it's the following year. I think he does fit what McDaniels loves out of his running backs, too. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back on the other side, we got our complaints and grievances with ECR. So everybody stay tuned to that. We'll be right back after this. Hey, guys. I just want to thank you all for tuning into our video today. Make sure you're subscribing to us on YouTube where you can search us the MD's Fantasy Football Show or go to at MDFF Show. We're available to you on TikTok and on Instagram. Follow us on social media when you go to at MDFF Show or at DanMeterFF for my personal account. Give us a shout-out on our Facebook page, the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Guys, we're available to you all throughout the year for any fantasy football questions you may have or football betting in general. Make sure you subscribe and like the video below. We'll see you again soon. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Welcome back into the MD's Fantasy Football Show. And remember, all throughout the offseason, I think we're going to keep this same schedule. Thursday night, 9.30, we'll be back with new episodes weekly especially till we get to the NFL draft process. And then we'll have our stream on the 27th and on the 28th. It's full coverage for the first three rounds, uh, commercial free, tons of guests. Chris and I will be on the entire time. Adam Maru from Billy Up Fantasy will be on with us the entire time. And I look forward to that every We won't use the bathroom either, Dan. Yeah. No. Nope, I already have my bottle strapped to my leg. We will be good to go. Uh, we got Jeremy from FTN over here talking about running backs with us. Very happy to have Jeremy on. And, of course, we have our co-star, Danielle Dubois. All right, so we went through our Bijan predictions. We went through who we think is the number two and why. And now I want to talk about some complaints and grievances I have with some of the rankings I'm seeing on Fantasy Pros at ECR when it comes to these rookie running backs. Tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I asked everybody to give, you know, two, two to three players about, you know, that was significantly different from their rankings compared to the UCR right now. So let's kick this thing over to Jeremy. Jeremy, what's your complaints and grievances with UCR at the moment? Uh, so I guess my biggest one would probably be Zach Evans. Um, I feel like a lot of people are out on Zach Evans at the moment. Um, I think that, Yes, he hasn't shown like a, a huge workhorse load at the moment in college. And now he's come out and said that he was saving himself for 
the NFL, different excuses, which way or whatnot. Um, but I do think that he can still be a very effective NFL running back. Um, he didn't show like over crazy speed with, I think he ran a four or five at the 40 um, at his pro day. So like, you're not getting like that high end speed, but he's a very smooth mover. Um, he's not violent. So I don't think he's overly flashy. I think a lot of people lead that to him not being that good, but he has very subtle moves and understanding how to get a defender into this sticky situation. And he's kind of just like a glider. And I think that, yeah, he came in a little underweight at like 202. We thought he was going to be in 215-ish range. So that does hurt him a little bit, especially because he did then run slower at his 40. Uh, but I think that he's going to be a guy that potentially we see get drafted in that late to mid third round. That's going to kind of shoot up some boards here once the uh, draft process plays out come May. I, I, I'm also with you with Zach Evans. I have him ranked a, a bit significantly higher than most as well. So I'm on board with you. He can do a little bit of everything. But the question will be, can he do it at a workhorse rate at the next level? Because I do think because he's not overly explosive and because he's not overly physical, if he gets into a platoon situation, we could see him come crashing down. So somebody who I do think is going to be very dependent upon where he winds up at. Do you have a second player or no? Um, I can give you one. Um, I'm going to say, let's go with Eric Gray. Um, Eric Gray, I have been kind of dropping him a little bit lower, um, in my rankings, but I still kind of have him a little bit higher. Uh, but for me, it's, yeah, he was came in at five foot nine, which is less than desirable than what we thought. Again, I got another guy that's just over 200 pounds. But Eric Gray is one of those few guys, kind of similar to Jameer Gibbs, that is very versatile in the pass game. You're not going to ask him to just necessarily run a flat route or a wheel route or maybe a Texas route. Like he's able to run a variety of routes. He can kind of line up anywhere that you ask him to. He's shown some production at Tennessee early on, then he kind of faded it out. This last season as a senior at Oklahoma, he looks significantly better, much more decisive, kind of getting downhill a lot quicker. Um, he has one of the nastiest jab steps in this class that I've ever seen. Um, so that's pretty fun to watch. And I think that depending on where he falls, because most of these guys are going to end up in a committee uh, and that he's going to go a little bit later, I think he could end up on a, like a little bit more of an explosive team that's kind of looking for a pass catcher, you know, maybe the Chiefs, maybe the chargers, you know, thinking of replacing Austin Eckler, something along those lines a little bit later that the team doesn't have to spend a ton of draft capital on. And I think that at one point, Eric Gray was one of the higher type of like Debbie slash collegiate prospects coming into his draft class, which we were predicting was last year. So now he's coming out this year, which is a little bit more of a loaded class. So I think that there's a little bit more potential to him being, not necessarily a full three down back, but he could be a good third down back that can also handle some of the work on first and third down, similar to like a Michael Carter, but maybe a little bit better. Interesting. Interesting. Chris, who's your two players that you have a problem with ECR with? Well, first I want to thank Jeremy for the Eric Gray, because I want to talk about him a little bit later, but I love Eric Gray. He's one of the guys I think in this draft that can actually play all three downs. Yeah, so I wasn't going to go into him just yet, but I'm, I'm not on the Eric Gray train, but we'll get into that, I think, in the next segment. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, the, the guy who's train I'm not on is the Sean Tucker train. I know Tucker had a good year for you know Illinois last year, a guy that I'm just not very impressed with, um, a guy that you know has 
one speed he basically runs at, doesn't have great vision, in my opinion, doesn't have good hands out of the backfield. Uh, a guy that I think you can find, a million guys can do the same exact thing, and he seems to be a higher guy, usually, you know, top five, top six for the most part, and I just don't really see this guy going to have any value. I think he's a guy that is living off more of the idea of what he did early on in the season in college versus what he could actually do in the NFL. Well, I'll, I'll jump in there with you because Sean Tucker was also on my list for complaints and grievances against ECR. And for the same reason, I got him at my RB16 as ECR is all the way up at RB7. And I, I just don't see it. Yes, he hand, he showed he could handle a huge workload in college. And he could do a little bit of everything except for he can't pass protect to save his life. And I don't think he's going to play particularly early as a result to that. And he added the fact that I think he's mostly just a first and second down guy anyway. Talk about a guy who can get pigeonholed. And then I don't see this explosive speed. Bur- I know they had that stupid thing going around, I think, on YouTube from when he was in high school. Supposedly, he ran a 4-3-3, which, whatever. It, don't trust it, number one. It's from high school. But number two, you definitely don't see that show up on tape. Not from the tape I was watching anyway. So Sean Tucker is, I'm Chris, I'm with you. He's one of those guys that he's getting touted heavily, and I don't see it. I see a dime a dozen guy. I see a solid backup, but a guy who has huge holds from, I don't know when exactly he's going to get the chance to play because how bad of a pass protector he is. I, I don't know if anybody wants to jump in there with, with our hatred of Sean Tucker here. Nope. Okay. I'll let it be for Jer- now. <laughs> Jeremy's like, I want to wait. Jeremy's like, I want to. I want to wait. All right. I respect that. All right. Let's. Oh, Chris, who's your second player? Sorry. Uh, for well, I think Eric Gray is definitely one of the guys I had for ECR. Some of my grievances. I think it was a guy that I had definitely lower than that. Uh, I'll throw another guy out there. McBride's a guy that I think there's a lot of people who are starting to hype up as we get closer. There's always this talk about these small college guys, you know, being something special until you actually see them against teams that are just as fast or players just as fast. I don't think McBride's anything special either. It's a guy that people seem to try to find a reason to get value for, especially ECR, and I'm not buying it. All right. Well, I'm going to also save that for later because he's in my next segment, and I disagree, FYI. Um, I will give my second player just because I already talked about Sean Tucker, and my guy is Roshan freaking Johnson. I got him ranked at RB4. The ECR has him ranked at RB13, and I hinted on this a little bit earlier in the show, but he's the only guy outside the top three that I see has the ability, one, to be special, and the second, to actually be a workhorse back. And I just, you know, I just got done knocking on Sean Tucker because of what he can't do and pass protection. Well, Roshan Johnson might be the best best pass protecting running back in this entire draft class. I mean, this guy knows exactly where to be. He has the stopping power for no matter who's coming across that line of scrimmage. It's going to make him play early. I was a little disappointed with his 40 time. I was hoping the rumors of him actually running in the mid four fours was going to be true. I still think he's fast enough. Four, five, eight is still fast enough. And I see enough on tape where he does get the opportunity to spring it loose in the second level. He has another gear he goes to when he's on the field. So I'm ultimately, I'm not worried about his explosiveness. I know he can catch the ball. He lined up outside. He has tremendous vision. I love his cuts inside. Very fluid hips. It's deceptive. It's deceptive with his speed because I think he's a little bit more of a long strider, a little bit of a bigger guy. The only knock I really have on him is that he runs a little bit high when he's going through that initial line of scrimmage, but he has generally enough power and something I think is easily correctable. Roshan Johnson is that guy in dynasty 
rookie mock drafts that come up in May, especially that I want to make sure I get my hands on because he does in my book have the potential to be an RB one overall. And right now he's at a bargain bargain value. So that's my guy. I have a real complaint with the ECR. Let's kick this to Danielle. Who's your two players. Yeah, I'm going to kick back off of your, uh, your points on Johnson. I honestly really like him as well. And I think while he might not start off being the number one guy, because I don't necessarily think he's there yet, I think he'll go in being the number two guy for a little while and learn. And then I think he'll end up getting traded and be a number one guy in somewhere else. And I think it will be a perfect story for him. I think he is very talented. And we've seen the great duo with Robinson this entire past season. And I love watching them together because they're both two electric running backs. Uh, he's 6'2", 223 pounds. I mean, he's a big guy. He is going to be hard to take down to say the least. So he is my main guy. I was kind of struggling to find another person as out of the top six running backs. I think other than that, I'm kind of iffy on the rest of them. I feel very mediocre on the rest of the running back class other than the top five or six guys. So I'm going to be honest, that was the only person I chose. That's fine. We can just move this thing along. Whatever. Danielle not doing all the homework. That's okay. Uh, Just kidding. (laughs) We, We can go to the sleepers. So I asked, I asked the group, I said, I want two guys, one or two guys that are likely, or as of right now, anyway, anything can happen, but right now are looking like they're going to get drafted in day three, who we think have the potential to surprise people. So Jeremy, let's start with you. Who's your one to two players that might get drafted in the four through seven rounds. They think have a chance to make a significant fantasy impact. Uh, So one's going to be Lou Nichols out of central Michigan. Um, he is technically a redshirt sophomore. Um, I haven't seen any of his pro day numbers. He didn't get measured at the combine cause he wasn't there. So he's listed at five eleven, two twenty two. Um, but he had a huge year, uh, last year, not this last year, the year prior, uh, which he did lead the, uh, uh, the, he did lead college football in rushing. And then this past season, he was kind of riddled with some injuries, kind of fell off, kind of has fought faded a little bit um he's not going to give you a ton as far as the pass game goes or necessarily be an overly elusive type of guy but i could see him being kind of a damian harris to somebody's kind of undersized guy very big physical type of runner gets downhill quick one cut north south kind of everything that you want from an early down type of running back and again i just think that where he's going to go he could be kind of like this year's like tyler lg or something like that you know it's not going to give you a ton of fantasy he's not going to be an rb1 he's likely um a low-end rb2 possibly rb3 but again when you're looking at somebody who got drafted in four through seven we're talking about your third fourth round in rookie drafts and i'm happy if he gives me two or three years of rb2 rb3 type numbers um so, yeah, I, I really like Lou Nichols. I think that he's a guy that not many people are talking about because there's not a lot out there on him at the moment. No, that, that's fair. I, I, I like that. Do you have another one? Uh, yeah, I will go with. Um, yeah, I mean, I like Dwayne McBride. I, I don't know if he really falls that far. Um, I think the NFL likes him a little bit more than. Maybe some fantasy people do just because, again, he's not an overly kind of that same style type of runner. He's not overly elusive. He has some wiggle to his game. Enough speed uh, is a missed tackle 
phenom at the moment. He's one of the the higher rated guys at forcing missed tackles. So again, it's it's UAB, so the level of competition wasn't necessarily the highest out there. Um, but he did okay in like games against LSU. Like, yeah, he wasn't like flashy in those games. But the UAB team is again not talented around him, so he did with what he could. Uh, most of that game, he was getting hammered behind the line of scrimmage. So. He did kind of what he did, and I think that he could be a little bit later. He's a guy that I have in my top 10, so he's not really a total sleeper for me, but I think he's a guy that is probably a consensus type of sleeper who might be a little bit lower in the ECR in most rankings. So I'd like McBride. I, I do think he might fall to that fourth round potentially. We're on the same page. I'll just jump in here because I also had McBride on my list for this segment for a lot of similar reasons you point out. I do think... He's going to probably fall that day three because you have the huge question mark of what is he, if anything, when it comes to the passing game. But I like it wasn't me who comped it, but I did kind of like this comp. As far as a runner goes, somebody comped it to Marco Murray, and I think that's pretty accurate with the way this guy runs. He forces tack, forces his tackles. He does have another gear when he gets to the second level. He is explosive against the secondary players. I've never seen him get hawked by any DBs ever when watching tape. Kind of like you pointed out, he doesn't go down on first contact. He keeps the train moving. He did do well against top competition, even though, to your point, the offensive line, less than stellar going on there at UAB. Dwayne McBride is that guy who I think will easily could find himself. I'm not saying he's as good as Nick Chubb. He's not, but find himself in that situation where he's allowed to just manhandle First, second down work, manhandle goal line work. I think he's better than Leonard Fournette. Let's put that up. What Leonard Fournette became, at least anyway. We'll put that out there. I think you find yourself in a similar situation. So I'm all over Dwayne McBride right there with you for a lot of similar reasons. And I'll just say my second one since I'm up anyway. Is he a Bonaconda? I think there's a real chance rounds four through seven, maybe that fourth round, fifth round. I think that's where he's going to wind up getting drafted. I'm tantalized by this guy. He's super explosive. He does have good size, but I will say this. For a running back who's listed at 215, he's probably the smallest 215 I've ever seen in my life. And that does show up when he is asked to pass protect. Now, he wasn't asked to do it a lot. He didn't play a lot on third downs. But when I did see it, it didn't matter if it was a linebacker, a defensive end, a blitzing defensive back. The guy got blown up and thrown to the side like a rag doll. So I do wonder how much are you going to get to play especially with his skill set. I'd love to see him be able to get in on third downs because he is very good with the ball in space, but I don't know if he gets those opportunities, at least not for a while until he learns maybe how to cut, maybe how at least how to anchor down, get a little bit better in that facet of the game, but he's a home run hitter waiting to happen. Do I trust his vision in every run scheme out there? No. Would he be better suited probably for an outside zone scheme? Yeah, that's probably what his skill set would be at this point. But this is a guy, if you plugged him in, you know, do I see shades of uh, Raheem Mostert come to mind where maybe I'll only give you 12 touches, but you take one of those to the house? I think he could be that guy. So I'm very tantalized by an Izzy Abani Kanda. Uh, Danielle, we'll kick this thing to you and then finish it up with Chris. Who are a sleeper or two of yours do you think is going to get drafted late? Yeah, um, I'm going to kind of go out of the box with this one. My goal in here is to kind of spice up some um, answers here. And so I'm going with Keaton Mitchell from East Carolina over here. I like it. I like it. I like him. I like him. I was not necessarily super high on him overall to begin with. And then when the combine happened and I saw he had a really excellent combine, 
which I mean, give or take, I don't really know. That doesn't necessarily mean everything about a running back, but he did have a great 40-yard time. He was the third best with 4.3 seconds for his 40-yard dash. He was the best 10-yard split with 1.48 seconds. He is on the smaller side, though. He's 5'9", 184 pounds, so that is a little bit of an issue. And he did come from East Carolina, so it's not like he's facing a lot of super hard teams and super competitive teams. But overall, I see some kind of fire in him, and I'm really excited to see where he could end up. I think he will go in the third round to somewhere looking for a backup running back, to say the least. But as he gets any time, I think that he can improve, and I think he could make a name for himself in the NFL. Keaton Mitchell, he's, he's going to help out on special teams, and that will give him a roster spot. And as long as you got a roster spot, we've seen running backs can hang around and make some things happen. Do you have another one for us? Yeah. I Actually, don't. Real quick, I did Bad see dream. that they they uh, we did a mock draft on my podcast a couple weeks ago, and I don't remember. We used CBS, I think. It, shoot, I don't remember who it was, but someone in front of CBS's mock draft had Keaton Mitchell drafted in the first two rounds. FYI, Whoa. really? I did not see him go mm-hmm. that high. Is that the only place you've seen him that high? Yeah, I mean that was the only one I looked at that yeah. had him that high. But I was, I was just curious. I'm just saying because Daniel brought him up. I'm like, I like it. I like it. And I think it was actually the Giants behind Barkley, so if I remember correctly. Yeah. I am not that, opposed that to that. I'm not opposed to that. <laughs> Do you have another one, Danielle, or no? I don't. Okay, Chris, go ahead. First, I love Izzy as a player that you talked about. I think as a player that definitely has some explosive with some coaching staff, especially the, the Kyle Shanahan tree has a lot of options for him to kind of fit in well. Um, but I think when we talk about all these running backs, it's going to be a little harder for me I have some guys in mind, but I want to mention real quick. I think he, I'm not sure if you guys, you know, are anticipating guys going a little higher than they probably will. I think in this draft, the running back position is not necessarily valued. I think there's going to be two guys going in the first two rounds. I don't think there's going to be much more than that. I think there's going to be a good chance a lot of these guys go in the fourth rounds, similar to what we saw last year. I uh, think a lot of running backs, you know, uh, Daniel got punished for not doing her homework, but part of the reason she didn't do her homework was because a lot of these guys are a dime a dozen, I think, and you're going to see coaching staffs kind of treat them accordingly where you're going to see guys get opportunities, maybe fourth, fifth round guys getting drafted like Atala Algier was. A guy I had hired my board last year, some other guys did, but you're not going to see these guys just like go you know, super high. Uh, Ford pops in the mind, for example, for Cleveland, a guy that a lot of us liked, but wasn't a guy who wasn't necessarily that high in the draft. So I see a lot of these guys maybe falling to that fourth round. Having said that, um, guy I don't want to go too far into is Eric Gray, a guy I think can play all three downs, a guy who has shown you can play all three downs and catch the ball out of the backfield. He's only five foot nine, but has the build to be able to do more. He's not like a little guy, not 180 pounds, by the way. Um, so he's a guy that can do a little bit more of everything. So I like his potential. And I also like Saint, uh, Ty Spears. This is a guy that I really wanted to hate on, um, a, a guy who I thought was just a pass catcher in a sense, a, a gadget player. And Dan knows him, so I love those guys. Um, but <laughs> when I, after seeing him in the senior bowl, after seeing him at the combine and going back and watching some tape, this guy can do a bit more than just be a pass catcher, a little scat back. I think he can handle some early down rolls, get the 12 to 14 touches. So this Spears is a guy that I think can catch the ball out of the backfield and might get in the field and have some explosiveness once he gets out there. I think he sneak up on some people. Yeah, we got to get to the next segment so we can close off the show. But I am with you on Spears. Very impressed with what his elusivity uh, could possibly bring to the table if he, in fact, does get that opportunity. Still be limited, I think, in his overall touches in the NFL, but – uh, an electric player, no, no, no doubt about that. I do want to get this thing over to. There we go.
It is time for the MD Showdown. So this is where we debate each other on some of the differences we have in our rankings. Danielle is our judge. She will be the one who decides who gets the point and who wins the debate and who does not. So, Danielle, be ready. First up, the first debate will be me and Jeremy. And I, I was having a hard time because I try to pick players that we aren't going to already talk about during the show. And once we kind of got some of those out of the way, there weren't too many other players that me and Jeremy were drastically different on. But I picked out Tank Bigsby, who is uh, eighth on my board and fourth on Jeremy's board. So, Jeremy, why is Tank Bigsby in your top four? So, for me, Tank Bigsby is a guy that I think can handle all three downs. Um, I think... For me, I've been in on Tank for a while. Uh, it's it's tough. It's a tough watch if you put on any Tank Bigsby film. Like we mentioned, UAB's offensive line was bad. Boy, Auburn made them look good. So their me, offense Bigsby is horrible. Is, Auburn, by the way, yes. yeah, Auburn's so, offense is like ancient. That's disgusting. So watching it, it was tough, and it 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 scarred me a little. But <laughs> Tank Tank has everything you want out of kind of like one of those potential kind of guys. Yes. Is he inconsistent? Yeah. But when you're getting hit behind the offensive line, you know, about half of your carries, it kind of starts to get in the back of your head a little bit. Um, Is he the most explosive? No. I mean, he ran a four, five, six, which is enough speed, but he shows it on tape that he can kind of run away from defenders when, when asked upon and he gets into the open field. And again, when it comes to him, it's kind of like a, missed tackles I mean, he had 156 over his career at uh, Auburn he also had over almost 2,000 yards after contact according to pro football focus 1993 is what he had um, and it was 3.69 per contact or per attempt so again it kind of comes into that territory of a guy that was getting hit early on behind the back um, before he got his opportunity to get running. And when he did get running, he kind of showed you that speed or just in general, that lateral ability to kind of make guys miss. Um, there's a clip out there from an Alabama game where he takes the ball and literally instantly has to make a guy miss, does gets the edge and kind of gets north south quickly. So like once he's getting to the edge, he's also looking to get downfield pretty quick. It's a guy that I think can handle a full workload. He's kind of shown that at Auburn. I mean, he did have 83 targets, 61 receptions over his career. Um, not a huge workload, but enough. Um, he has had drop issues, so there's that question there. But I think he's one of those guys who could develop into, which is a few and far in between in this class, that can develop into a three-down back if they wanted to, or at least be a significant contributor in both the run and pass game. So, so funny enough, I don't really disagree with too much of what you just said, other than I don't think Tank Bigsby – is ever really going to be a factor to the next level in the passing game. Pass protection being one, it's 0.84 yards per route run. It's not terrible. It's not great either. He's not a guy who has uh, smooth hips, in my opinion, when he makes cuts. He's very stiff, runs very upright. And that's the other knock that I have against him. I don't think he's a guy who's going to last very long in the NFL until he learns how to lower that pad level. And I don't know if he does, because I never I never see this guy get low. And it costs him every time they get into a short yardage goal line situation. He just Part of it could be the offensive line, but the other part of it, he's not generating much power with his legs when he's in those tight situations. He has moments where he cuts he cuts off the um, outside and is able to get loose, but this was also a guy on tape who 
prior to combine, I felt like was being touted as an explosive player. And I felt like I wasn't seeing it and also felt like I backed up with his combine speed. Not terrible, as you said, but not the not the explosive electric playmaker that people were trying to make him out to be. I still have him ranked eighth overall, so I'm not dumping on Tank Bigsby. The ability is definitely there. The build is there. But I have a little more questions about how long can you really last in the NFL and how early do you play because of some of those pass protection issues. Uh, but, Danielle, go ahead. Who wins this debate? I think I'm going to have to go with Jeremy, and I personally just think Tank Bigsby Bigsby is very talented running back despite his time at Auburn having his fair share of issues there with the offensive line. But um, also when you look at the other running backs, I personally just like him over them. So I think I'd rather take him at the fourth spot than the eighth spot. Danielle, forever the perfect hostess, always pandering to the guests. That's a good job, Danielle. Not mad about it at all. <laughs> it's smart. It's it's smart politics. I get it. Mm-hmm. I guess got to come back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now we're going to have Chris and Jeremy go at it here, and they're going to go at it over Chase Brown. So Chase Brown for Chris is ranked at seventh, and for Jeremy, he is ranked, I believe, all the way down at 16th. So Chris, go ahead, because we'll give Jeremy a, a break here, give him a little bit of a breather. Why is Chase Brown so high for you? I also think I have him so high as much so that when I get to the second tier guys, if number you know the six top guys, I think it's a bunch of, basically a bunch of guys you can group together. I like Brown's speed. I like his ability to get to the edge. We talked about earlier about you know some of the fits for these running backs. I think he fit well in the Kyle Shanahan system. So I think when you look at the different systems that are around the league, he has an opportunity to kind of be a guy who can get out there, get to the edge, maybe in a Miami situation or maybe another team like that where he can kind of get involved. A guy who can make you know, definitely be involved in early downs. Not a great pass catcher, but a guy who has explosiveness and big enough to take some hits that he can get you some carries, get you in the red zone. So the guy I think is going to have some potential to have a little bit more when he gets on the field. Not a guy I think is guaranteed to you know, do anything spectacular. Just a guy I think whose talent I like a bit more than some of the other guys below him. Okay, okay. Not a strong argument I had to say there, but okay. Uh, Jeremy, why are you lower on Chase Brown? So Chase Brown's already played uh, five years of collegiate football at Illinois. Um, five foot nine, two Oh nine is what he weighed in and measured in at the combine. Was he explosive? Yes. He had, uh, was the best vertical of this class until Abana Kanda's pro day, which was 41. Uh, Brown has a 40, um, again, a good broad jump at one twenty seven. Um, and like you had said, Chris, uh, he is quick at four, four. I just, Again, the numbers are there. So, for example, like we just talked about Tank Bigsby, you know, yes, Chase Brown had 163 missed tackles. But again, that was five years of total at the collegiate level where Bigsby was at 154 for three years, you know. So the the question with me with Chase Brown is he just feels like that dime a dozen type of running back that, yes, he's quick, he's fast. Is he athletic? For sure. Um, the question really to me becomes is that, how consistently can he earn opportunities on the field? Um, I think that like a Raheem Moser, Jeff Wilson type of comp is very good. And we've seen it, you know, those guys flash in a pan here or there, the Elijah Mitchell's like, yes. into the right scheme where he's not forced to make too many decisions. He kind of can 
get to that edge and use his speed and maybe make one or two cuts, make a guy miss, and then he has 40 yards of green grass in front of him, yeah, he could be decent. I just don't think that, to me, I think that like a guy like Dan had mentioned, Israel Abanacanda is a guy who I would rather tout in that type of role and a guy I would look to at this point of the draft where Chase Brown is probably going to go. And I just, I don't think that he, Chase Brown seems a lot like kind of like Jerome Ford, um, somebody like that from last year where it's kind of a guy that, yeah, we like him. There's explosiveness, there's ability, but he's probably going to end up on a team that buries him, and we're never going to see him for fantasy. It, other than like maybe a flash in the pan week two here or there. So for me, when I rank my running backs, like, this way I'm looking at like longevity and how much they're going to contribute Willie. Yeah. Probably at some point, but I'm not going to get multiple weeks out of chase Brown. Okay. Danielle, who wins this debate? So I am going to have to say before I say my decision that I personally really like chase Brown. He was in the top five for both attempts and yards. And I think he can carry himself down the field in a very great manner. However, I'm going to have to go with Chris. <laughs> I was thinking about doing a little curveball there, but I'm going to have to go with Chris. Bad Pollux. I'm out of here. No. <laughs> Your host just went out the window. What the hell? <laughs> Not that one. All right, well, I have to see if I can tie this thing up here and get my point. Chris, you and I are going to be debating on Deuce Vaughn. I got Deuce Vaughn ranked at 15th, while you have him all the way up inside your top 10 at number 8 to be uh, specific here. So go ahead. You can have the floor first. Why is Deuce Vaughn number 8 for you? I'm going to go with a guy who's been high productive, one of the top running backs in the SEC, which is one of the harder conferences, plays with an offense that was not anything special in Kansas State, has carried that team. Now, people are going to knock the size, but we're talking about a lot of different guys who are small in this pack. You know, Daniel Love, the guy who's 180 pounds. So we're looking at a guy who has shown you workhorse tendencies in an SEC conference where a lot of guys and linebackers and defensive lines are going to get drafted in the NFL – has been successful against them. Catch the ball out of the backfield, make people miss. Reminds me a lot of Darren Sproles. So I'm going to go with him because I think he has one of the more talented guys, a guy who could do a little bit and has shown you in college he could be reductive. So that's why I have him as high as I do. Like I said, I'm not thrilled with some of the guys after the top guys, but I think there's a lot of different guys who can do different things. Spears, you know, I'm sorry, sorry. Um, he's just one of these guys I think can make people miss. Vaughn been able to be on the field for the last four years and has carried a Kansas State team that's not that great. Yeah, here's the problem. Um, college and NFL drastically different. And even Darren Sproles, who was 5'6, he was still a good 15 to 20 pounds heavier than Deuce Vaughn is at 176. Deuce Vaughn, he's like, he's really fun to watch. I really loved watching his tape, but he's like your kid who does a really great cartwheel. It's really cool. It's really neat. It's really fun. They're not trying out for the U S gymnastics, you know, Olympic team anytime soon because of their size. And with Vaughn here at only 176, he would be the outlier on top of the outlier on an outlier. And Darren Sproles, we can go back to him if you want to never had a season where he had a hundred plus carries. 
So he never has no chance of being a workhorse at the NFL level. He'd have to make his heyday in his passing game. And not that he's bad in that instance, but he's a better runner than he is a receiver. I, I like Deuce Vaughn. I don't see a scenario in which he's really that big of a fantasy asset or even that big of an NFL asset when we get to the next level. So, Danielle, who wins this debate? First off, if I was judging based off of um, great um, – oh, I forgot the word. Analogies. Jeez, sorry oh, Okay, there you go. <laughs> That's the word I was going for. If I was judging based off of that, you 100% uh, have taken that award because that was a beautiful analogy you gave. It's However, being your host. <laughs> yeah, I love the underdog story, and I do love Vaughn, despite his awful team. There's nothing special about that team, like you said, Chris, but he has been kind of the light in the darkness for it, and I really hope that he can keep up that underdog story into the NFL, and that's more so kind of my, my I hope you do well, so I'm going to have to go with Chris. <laughs> I'm going to find out what uh, Chris paid Daniel. And, and he's in the SEC, so Daniel could add that he he's shown that he can do it and be a workhorse back against top-tier guys. You know, so I had to say this not... on Twitter to somebody who was arguing me about why Dave, Devon A-Chain in their mind should be like the number two running back to Bijan Robinson, and I had to say to them, the SEC does not equal the NFL. I'm tired of hearing how, oh, he's in the SEC, so automatically he's going to do great at the NFL level. It does. It's not an automatic thing. So I, no, I'm not saying I'm not that, but... not saying it's not saying it's automatic. I'm just saying that he's taken a lot of hits from guys. He's been a workhorse back. He's not a guy who's catching the ball out of the back all the time. He's been a workhorse back in the SEC. For all his, his entire career, which means and he's, he's already still... wearing down at one five six one seventy six. I don't. That's all I'm saying. But he hasn't. He hasn't shown you that yet. Yeah, NFL's quite a bit bigger. Anyway, Danielle already gave you the win, so you have the win. That does it for the show. Next week, we got Pat Fitzmorris from Fantasy Pros. He's going to come on to talk about wide receivers with us. We do have the NFL draft special at the end of the month. We'll have a tight end episode in between there where we'll have Dan Toomey coming on to be the guest for that show as well. Jeremy, before we get out of here, what are you working on? What do you have something that's out right now you want people to go check out? Where can we follow you? Because you, you put out a lot of great work, a lot of great content all the time. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at PopesFFH. Uh, like you said, I'm usually posting a lot. Not right now, doing a basement remodel. So, you know, all that goes, you know. Mm. Uh, so, but follow me on there. If you want to find any written work, uh, it's FTNFantasy.com. Um, and then there is the Dynasty podcast on pretty much every platform if you want to listen to my podcast. Excellent. And you should. I actually I followed it and downloaded it today, um, mostly to get the correct thing and uh, pronunciation on your name. But it worked out well. It was actually a really good show. I, I actually listened to your uh, Abani Kanda uh, that was out there today. It was about 30 minutes. That was, that was pretty good. Uh, Chris, you got anything coming up with Adam on Belly of Fantasy or no? Yeah, we're going to be working on our show coming out around the draft time. So we'll be preparing you as we come out for our Belly Up special draft that we talked about earlier in the show. So we're going to be coming around that week. All right. And Danielle, what do you got? When, when's your next uh, show for your college station? We actually just wrapped up our season this past Tuesday, uh, but you guys can go back and rewatch it. We talked about every single major sports league in the U.S., especially hockey. So you guys can check that out at EIV Box Score. Make sure you guys subscribe and hit the bell notification so you get notified when we have new content available to you and download the MD's Fantasy Football Show on your favorite podcast app. Give me a follow at DanMaterFF or the show at BellyUpMDFFShow. Guys, we'll see you next week. (laughs) 